Welcome to the European Social Network podcast series. Listen to the stories and the voices from frontline social services across Europe. How are social services managing the challenges brought by the COVID-19 pandemic? Or how are they supporting people to handle the cost of living crisis? How are social services attracting people into the profession or promoting innovation to ensure access to quality social services? These are just some snapshots of topics we are going to discuss in this podcast series. Welcome to our very first uh, podcast episode. I'm Alfonso Lara Montero, CEO of the European Social Network. For those of you who don't know us, ESN, in short for European Social Network, is based in Brussels. And Brussels is the home of Belgian chocolates and waffles. ESN is a growing community of more than 160 organizations with responsibility for social services in 34 countries. We provide an international platform for exchange and aim to empower professionals and those using social services. For the rest, visit our website, www.esn-eu.org, to have more information about who we are and what we do. The idea behind this podcast series is to bring stories of social services to you. We are all aware of the constant pressure and challenges that social services face. This is why we want to discuss how social services professionals have faced and solved these issues. But we are also here to acknowledge the incredible work that social services do to improve people's lives. Today, we will speak with Harro Jogerwerf, who is head of the Poverty Reduction Department in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and with Georgia Chimbani, who is Director of Adult and Community Services in Suffolk County Council in England. Welcome you both and many thanks for being with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Today's theme is the current cost of living crisis and the impact it is having on social services. And I would like to start by asking you both, what are the issues that you see as directors of social services in the face of the current crisis? Well, at this moment, we see a sharp increase of people in financial trouble. Um, the difference with crisis before, the times before, is that also uh, middle incomes are affected at this moment. Uh, to a certain extent, there is an atmosphere of uh, panic because some people are confronted with uh, electricity and gas bills that are very huge. So their uh, balanced household finances are really disturbed. We meet a lot of people that come to our services and to our financial service, uh, surgery. And uh, also we see people that are in such a, a big trouble that they uh, go to ask for help in the food uh, services. In England, the, the picture is very similar as well. Inflation in the UK reached 11% in October, October 2022, and that's the highest that has been in 41 years, so it's significant. Um, what we're seeing as directors of social services is families are being faced with impossible choices. Do I pay my rent or do I buy food? 
or do I buy food or do I heat the house? That the cost of domestic gas and uh, uh, domestic electricity has shot up. So I think, um, I think our estimates in, in, in the UK are domestic gas in the last year has increased by 129%. And electricity by 66%. And, and really what this means for people is it's incredibly, incredibly expensive. The cost of living is continues to rise. Maybe to give an example, if um, you live in an area so that has a very low paying jobs and maybe your, your chance of getting a higher paid jobs means traveling um, somewhere further away from where you live, um, your ability to actually travel to actually go and work in a job that possibly pays you a lot more uh, will now be affected by very high petrol prices. Therefore, uh, you know, we're seeing people actually being forced to work locally, which of course impacts on the amount of money that they can earn and of course their health and well-being as well. Um, Suffolk is, is a county council that is a mixture of urban areas and rural, quite a lot of rural areas. And what that means for Suffolk is we have a lot of households that are off the national grid, which means that they don't get gas or electricity from the national grid. So they either rely on renewable energy, which is great if they have that in place, but most people don't, uh, or purchasing oil for heating, which is very, very expensive. Um, and also we have quite a lot of older properties in Suffolk that generally means that much more ineffective and expensive to heat. So one of my worries is we are probably going to see a huge in, um, influx of people being admitted to hospital with respiratory conditions, cardiovascular conditions, poor mental health as a result of poor living, poor or very cold living conditions. A couple of years ago, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, which is still, uh, we still feel the consequences, the war in Ukraine then with the refugee and the energy crisis, Since that we've gone from crisis to crisis and we know how much this affects uh, local social services, this is very much connected to the rise in the cost of living that uh, you are referring to and we are all facing right now. How has this affected your own services and your team? Has there been an increase in the needs of people with whom you work? And how um, what have been those new needs uh, that you've been identifying over the past months? I had to say that the effect of COVID turned out to be uh, quite modest, uh, except for a group of uh, entrepreneurs, because uh, we had a, a large-scale uh, funding of the government for uh, employers to pay their um, to continue the payment of their employees, mm -hmm. and for the entrepreneurs, uh, we conducted a fast program on local level. This was really a difficult thing to bring professionals together to carry it out, but, but we managed. And short uh, after uh, after a short fall of unemployment in these two years, uh, the labor market turned in out into a shortage of people. So very fastly we we found people um, getting more and more jobs. But now we came in a uh, really new kind of crisis which affects uh, much more people in their financial households and which also affects people in a very, very different way because uh, we're living in, a, in an urban area here. We work in an urban area. So some people have very well and modern uh, houses which uh, where the use of energy is very uh, little. Uh, we have a 
private distribution uh, of uh, energy. So people have very, very different kind of contracts. Some have uh, contracts that hasn't changed until now. But other people have variable contracts, which can raise uh, up to three, four, five times the amount of money they paid before. So for our social service, there is a very high need to identify those people that have really uh, have the biggest problem. And of course, uh, it is always more easy to give some uh, general assistance to the large group instead of identifying the special niche of uh, of individuals, as we are talking about uh, around 100,000 um, people in Amsterdam that are living around uh, the the lowest uh, level of payment. That is a challenge because uh, in generally we are more used to work in more general uh, themes. So it is both a, uh, a challenge on the street level where we have these advanced uh, quarter teams and also uh, and sometimes even more within the bureaucracy in uh, where general rules have to be changed to more individual scenes of assistance. Thanks, Hiro. It's interesting, isn't it, how, how many similarities we actually have across Europe. So um, in the UK, um, certainly in England, the impact of COVID was certainly not as severe as, as it could have been. Again, um, similar to the Netherlands in terms of um, um, support from government in terms of um, uh, income through furlough schemes. Um, there were reduced travel costs for people as a result of hybrid working. But what we do know is what COVID did is it did expose inequalities that already existed in our communities. And that's something we recognize a lot more. We also recognize the importance of mental health um, because a lot of people were struggling uh, during COVID with mental health. But positively as well, uh, we saw great examples of how communities and organizations were able to come together through co-production to design um, more person-centered support. So ADAS, which is the Association of Directors of Adult Social Services um, that I'm a member of and that I represent, um, do a survey every year that's sent to about 152 um, directors of adult social services in English councils. And the consensus is all directors are expressing a real concern about the cost of living. But what's interesting is it's not so much new need, but it's more an increase in existing needs. So those inequalities I've mentioned before, we're starting to see an impact, much more of an impact. We've started to see an increase in people, for instance, suffering falls in their houses um, due to poorly lit homes because people are trying to save money on energy costs. So there's no, they're not um, lighting their homes very well. Poor nutrition and social isolation as people are cutting down on things, um, either on food uh, or on socialization as a result of trying to make ends meet. I'm particularly concerned about unpaid family carers. In the UK, we really, really rely on family carers to actually, in a sense, supplement the support that we provide as social services. And we are starting to see some carers who are starting to consider the difficult choice of, do I continue to care for this family member or do I ask for support from social services and go out and find employment? Another issue for us um, uh, in England is we've always struggled to recruit social care staff. It's due to a combination of issues, but certainly what directors of social services are expressing is that they've started to see more people leave 
the social care workforce due to low pay. In Suffolk, where I'm a director, we know that some staff have transferred from working in domiciliary care, where they travel around the county in a car or on a bus or whatever mode of transport to, to visit and support people in their own homes, to actually working in a care home, because actually it's cheaper, because in a care home, all you need to do is get yourself to the care home, uh, and then you spend the rest of your 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 shift in the care home, so to speak, without needing to travel around with travel costs that are really expensive because of, of fuel costs. For many years, we've been concerned about the um, sustainability or viability of our care providers. So our care providers are the organizations where as as social services, we go and we buy care from them so that they then deliver care on our behalf to people who require the care. And what care providers are telling us is there's not enough staff to meet demand, the demand um, for people who, who require support and recruitment and retention is a real, real issue. Uh, so the cost of living means salary costs and, of course, expectations on staff for employers to keep meeting um, increasing salaries in line with inflation. Those expectations are increasing. Employers can't meet those expectations. And, of course, for care providers, running costs are escalating and care providers can't keep pace with this. And, of course, this impacts the viability of businesses. So it's, it feels very much like a vicious cycle, Alfonso. It just, it, just, it just feels like it goes round and round and round. You both have spoken of increased needs due to the rise in the cost of living. So how are the social services uh, in your um, communities responding to those uh, needs? Were you prepared for, for these changes? Um, have you been able so far to address those changes with your own resources? Or have you also received or requested support from higher level authorities to, to help you? Um, yes, in the Netherlands, the focus of this crisis has been very much on energy because um, more than in other countries in Europe, the prices of energy has raised. We had already a program on that uh, issue, which was orientated on the, the efforts to save energy in households for financial reasons but to save it by improving your in installations, uh, improving the isolation of your house and other kind of things. In fact, this program was uh, supported by both our climate department and our own department because of uh, the financial uh, aspects for minimum incomes. And it was also oriented on uh, minimum incomes. But the, the scale of this program was really, really small. Uh, or relatively small, and in the in this very uh, year, it really exploded because of both professional voluntary workers and the civilians are uh, turned into a big willingness to participate, and also for some people, the of course the climate goals and the prevention of buying Russian gas. Uh, it all turned into a coincidence of interest and a, a large scale of cooperation, uh, both in the professional and uh, voluntary field. On the other uh, side, so the, the income side uh, of the problem, uh, our national government has really started a large financial public intervention, uh, which uh, made it possible for our local social service to support every uh, household with uh, 1,300 euros uh, of energy support. 
So we uh, had to form a large crew of about uh, 40 to 50 people uh, working on the distribution of this uh, money. And of course, uh, we based that on databases and our address um, records of uh, the clients we have, we know from kind of uh, from other uh, uh, interventions before, uh, which is around 70,000 people we, we already knew and we can uh, reach them by, uh, by mail. But also we opened uh, possibilities to, uh, to ask for this support. And what is surprisingly that we met around 20,000 uh, new households in a very uh, low income uh, level, mostly uh, working people who have never had any relation with uh, social services. Uh, but they turned up now to, uh, to ask for this support. And it gives us a, a very good chance to relate with them and to search whether other kind of support, especially if they have children, are needed to, uh, to find this balance in the household uh, economy. So for our uh, social services, this has been really uh, a big chance uh, to improve, although it has been a, a large uh, challenge to get it all done. And we are still working it and we hope to finish the distribution of this uh, support before Christmas. So I think what we've always been quite good at doing as directors of social services in England or indeed in the UK is um, recognizing that the people that we work to support always need some support or a buffer against the cost of living. But in terms of our response more recently, I think what we just didn't, uh, what, what we weren't prepared for the increase of the numbers of people requiring support or indeed the increase in costs. So the cost just rose really, 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 really quickly, rapidly. Um, and it meant that anything that we put in place initially didn't feel as though they were actually supporting people enough. Um, but I think now we do have a number of things that are in place. So uh, a, a bit like Harrow has described, um, the UK government has also similarly put in place a number of things to support people. For instance, um, at the recent fiscal statement in October 2022, the UK government committed to ensuring that people who require uh, state support in the form of um, benefits or universal credit, for instance, is one of those that would rise at the rate of inflation. So that was reassuring to hear. Um, they've put in place a number of support payments, um, for instance, um, £650 for cost of living um, payments for people on means-tested benefits, um, £300 for pensioners, cost of living payments, um, and an energy uh, price guarantee cap. But this is still not enough. It's it's short-term support, It's so it's, it's appreciated, but it's short, sharp support and can support people possibly for a couple of months, but it still leaves them vulnerable in the long term. So what we've tried to do as social services is try to put in place a number of initiatives to provide additional and uh, a support, and that's more targeted um, to help people. So, for instance, in Suffolk, we've put together a, a cost-of-living framework that helps people depending on their personal circumstances. So, for instance, if you are struggling with food bills, we can provide you with details of food bank in your local areas or pop-up shop shops where you can fill a shopping bag with food for two pounds 
or vouchers for pregnant women and children under four to buy food or ways of reducing food waste through creative but very cheap recipes or even buying food at reduced rates that you know food that restaurants and takeaways would have thrown out at the end of the day um, we also have um, a, a Suffolk Warm Homes initiative and what that does is it provides support to make homes cheaper to heat um, we also have another initiative which is Warm Spaces where people who can't afford to heat their homes can actually go to a designated setting like a library or a community center uh, that's heated so they can stay there all day, they can keep warm, they can charge their um, mobile phones or devices, they can have a warm drink and socialize. And that really, really helps people um, because actually you've got somewhere warm to stay and then you can go home um, at nighttime and and possibly jump into bed and not feel the effects of you know a cold home as much as spending the whole day there. So there's quite a lot that I can detail, but hopefully this gives an it, it gives an idea of what UK local authorities are trying to do to mitigate the impact of um, cost of living for their communities. Both of you have mentioned minimum income, uh, financial benefits, and indeed minimum income schemes provide uh, some level of uh, social protection. And European institutions are encouraging uh, national governments to put forward and rebound their uh, national programs. How do you think the minimum income schemes can help address um, the cost of living crisis? Oh, uh, that that is absolutely necessary. We have a uh... Uh, a minimum income already for many, many uh, decades in Holland. But in the, um, from the period of the financial crisis in 2008, this minimum income and the related uh, social benefits are raised only very, very poorly. Uh, so uh, uh, people living on that level are really uh, too far behind. Um, fortunately, our government now has decided to raise both the minimum income and the minimum uh, social benefits uh, at, the, at the 1st of January by 10% structural. So that is a very, very important uh, step. But for us, this is only a reparation of the past, reparation of uh over the years, over the situation over the years. And as we now faced by uh, this uh, inflation rate of around also 10%, we think that it should be uh, raised e even more uh, next year. But of course, we are very happy with this 10% because it will create a more uh, stronger basis in the very broad uh, sense. As a uh, local social service have to do is to... Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, after this general leverage of uh, incomes, we created special uh, assistance, uh, financial assistance for individual situations. Uh, until now, uh, until before this year, uh, energy costs were out of that scene because it was considered to be part of the regular household cost. But now we have uh, opened the possibility that people bring their electricity bills. Also, if they are raised in that uh, extent, that the general uh, ways of support aren't enough to reduce the cost, uh, to pay the cost, uh, we give them individual support up to a couple of hundred uh, euros per month. Unfortunately, of, or not unfortunately, we're happy to do it, but of course it asks a lot of 
workers on our side, professionals, to find out these individual situations. A bit like I said before, um, Alfonso, so um, I think the, the UK government has uh, made a commitment recently to say that um, benefits would rise at the rate of inflation. So that's really, really positive. But I don't think that's enough to actually address the cost of living. And I'll, and, and I'll tell you why. I think the, the, those inequalities that I mentioned previously um, are really, really important. Um, so we know that there's inequalities in our communities um, in relation to people's health outcomes, in relation to access to employment or, or you know, well-paid jobs or um, access to uh, energy-efficient housing. And I think all of those come into play in terms of impacting people in terms of cost of living. So even if you gave people benefits that are rising with inflation, but people are still living in um, very energy inefficient houses, um, that still is an issue for people because that brings its own set of problems. Or if people are living in areas where there's a lot of pollution, they don't have access to uh, green spaces to support their health and well-being or um, support that enables them to live a healthy life, those people will be negatively impacted um, than people living in different environments um, because they'll have much more health problems. And of course, health problems, as we know, cost a lot in terms of people seeking support and also cost a lot in terms of people's health and well-being. So I would say that there's a lot more that needs to happen to ensure, as in a sense, almost as a total package to support people, to ensure that people on minimum income schemes um, are adequately supported. Imagine that you are addressing national and European policymakers. If you can make one request to them to help you address the cost of living crisis, what would that be? Of course, in our national government, we have um, many, many requests for them. If I choose uh, the, mo the most important, I think in the first place, is the problem of people without um, legal documents. Uh, the COVID crisis uh, brought us in contact with many, many initiatives in, in, uh, in neighborhoods where people collected food for uh, illegal uh, uh, people living in Amsterdam on, in a illegal way. And, uh, and of course, those people were cut off any support and cut off any income during the lockdown period. But after this period we uh, found out that we kept in contact with them uh, because many of them are structural in a very very bad situation of living so the improvement of that situation is probably the first thing i think the inequalities um that we've just described hera and i have just described i think that's really really important we do need to reduce inequalities in 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 the community in our communities um if people don't have good health or access to employment or um good employment well paid jobs that has an impact in terms of um support that they require from social services and indeed it costs the government even more money so i would say that by reducing those inequalities what that does is it empowers people it supports people it's it gets it just communities become much more vibrant and much stronger and more resilient actually 
um, rather than, in a sense, being done to and being provided with things. And we know from COVID that actually communities are very able to do that if they're given the tools to be able to do that. Thank you very much, uh, Georgia and Harrow, for being here with us today. We've just arrived uh, at the end of the first ESN podcast episode. We've listened to interesting insights into the impact of the cost of living crisis for social services in Amsterdam and Suffolk, realities that many of us uh, are not aware of. For our audience, we hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening and tune in for our next episode at the beginning of 2023.